Hello and welcome to the Groove Sipper podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. In our first episode, Lucy talks about her dad's same-day diagnosis of cancer and their beautiful memories of a family trip to Thailand. We talk in depth about the final days of Rob's life and we laugh and cry about the rollercoaster of emotions that cancer had on their lives for four and a half years. This episode is dedicated to Rob Dennis, my dad who died on Sunday the 7th of June 2020, following four years living with esophageal cancer. I have never seen somebody show so much strength and resilience against against the odds. We had doctors and nurses telling us all the way through that he was uh, one of a kind and uh, he kept kind of exceeding everybody's expectations. And he taught me a lot in those four years that he was living with cancer about the really important things in life. And we became incredibly close. So today I'm going to do a little bit of a breakdown of those four years, because whilst going through it myself, I had no idea the impact that it was going to have on my life. And even just writing down the notes about it now it's hard to believe all of those poignant moments of hopes, of absolute distraught, of not knowing, of waiting, of wishing. And I think it's really important to see that side of cancer. Mm. I mean, you went through a whole journey together, really. Um, I mean, obviously, I know Lucy's story. And this morning she's um, sort of sent me through the, the the timeline, so to say, and it's just there's so many ups and downs and reading through it, even though it's across. Did you say it was four years, Lucy? Yeah. Yeah. It, it still sort of feels really rapid because there's mm. just constant changes mm-hmm. going on and constant ups and downs. And yeah, it, it really, really must have just been an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, it's really unpredictable and cancer does that to you. It kind of throws you these curveballs. You just don't really know what to expect. And it's really strange because we know so much about cancer. Cancer is part of most people's lives. Most people know somebody who's had cancer or lost somebody to cancer. And so we kind of throw the word around and don't learn too much about it ourselves. Mm. Um, And I don't think it's until you're really in that situation with somebody who uh, is going through it that you realise all of those. I mean, you have to get used to all of the medical jargon and everything that comes along with it. So absolutely. So I'll start by talking about his uh, kind of signs and symptoms. Yeah. So dad was starting to show that he wasn't quite right he just wasn't himself so so it was around November December 2015 yeah and at the same time my mum had been quite unwell and Mm. she'd been struggling with shortness of breath and like blackouts so we were waiting for her to be assessed right (laughs) um And it was Christmas, so everything was going slow. Um, Mm. And 
I think it was just before Christmas, we uh, mum was diagnosed with sinus node disease, which is a disease, it's a heart disease. And um, it just meant that her heart wasn't sending out the right electrical impulses for it to beat on time, which is why she was having these kind of blackout moments. Okay, yeah. So our focus on dad, although we were aware that something was wrong, uh, we weren't we weren't sure what was what what it was. So what uh, was going on with your dad? What symptoms was he having? So he was losing weight, mm. um, and he was always quite a big guy because he was a chef <laughs> and he was around lots of food and he liked a glass of wine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he wasn't, you know, a slim guy when. Uh, <laughs> In 2015, he was he was a chunky lad, and chunky um, boy. he was, and uh, he'd lost a bit of weight. And actually, mm-hmm. I think it was Christmas Day when we mm-hmm. all were a bit like, oh, okay. And he got up from the dinner table whilst we were having dinner and took himself off to the bathroom mm. and didn't come back for a while. And I was like, hmm, wonder what's going on there. Yeah, but. Because we just found out about mum, his focus was there. He was like, we'll focus on your mum and then, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go to the doctors, you know, whenever. It's nothing, it's fine. I mean, and as well, I mean, for me, sort of listening to that, sort of just losing a bit of weight, maybe slightly out of sorts. To me, that doesn't suddenly ring alarm bells of, oh, well, he must have cancer. You know, that there's so yeah. many reasons why you could be losing weight or feeling out of sorts and I think that's what's really important to actually know the signs and be educated what you're looking for yeah absolutely so it wasn't until so mum had her surgery in January which fitted a pacemaker then she had about six weeks recovery and during this time dad was becoming kind of increasingly thinner was struggling more and more with food mm. and I was doing uh, my training at the time to be a nurse so I kind of knew that something was not right yeah um so I said to him you know let's just get you down to the doctors like let's just get get an endoscopy done which is where they put a tube down your throat uh, yeah usually with the camera have a look at your gut Mm. uh, and esophagus and I'd had a couple of those before because I was diagnosed celiac when I was 17 and Mm. to be diagnosed celiac you have to have endoscopies to check your stomach Mm -hmm. so I knew that it was unpleasant I knew why he didn't want to go I knew why he didn't want one done but I kind of used the fact that I'd had one done as leverage against him you're sort of like (laughs) come on dad I've had one done and I'm younger than you you know get your act together and get to the doctors (laughs) yeah absolutely and by this point when he kind of finally agreed to go it wasn't until March 2016 wow so by this point you know we've gone November December January February March we're five months on from the from those initial signs Mm. um and life had just carried on you know everybody Mm. was preoccupied everybody's working we live in such a busy culture what we did before this pandemic yeah (laughs) um 
And it was just easy enough to make excuses not to go and do something. I think as well, with your mum being poorly, mm. I think naturally your dad being sort of the man of the family would have thought, you know, let's brush this under the carpet and let's think about um, mum and, you know, get her get her better and maybe didn't want to think about himself. Yeah, I think so. I think it really needed to focus on her getting back on her feet because yeah. she had she had her own business my dad was a head chef at a college like he was really busy the students had just come back you know work was bustling mum was back on her feet like it just mm. seemed like like that was too much to think about at the time but, and um, when you when you went when you took him to the doctors what were you expecting were you expecting you know a diagnosis or no 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 so I went um the day that I took him to the doctors so he'd agreed to see the GP the GP had said to him okay well you've got private medical insurance we'll just Mm -hmm. get you on an endoscopy with the private hospital so Mm -hmm. it can be within a couple of days okay so I was like fab this is great you know we've waited long enough we might as well just know we might as well just find out now that nothing's wrong because then we can all just carry on with our lives oh Lucy and (laughs) yeah I was wrong like I went so I went with him to this appointment. It was just me and mm. him. My because night because none of us were expecting. Even I mean, even if we were expecting to hear anything bad, we definitely didn't expect to hear it that day. Like normally, yeah. get a diagnosis right there and then. Yeah. But um, we went in and he had his endoscopy, and I waited in the waiting room, and they called me in afterwards, and mm. he was just kind of he'd had a little bit of sedation it's like a weird procedure where you don't get put under as such but like you have enough of a cocktail that you can't drive afterwards basically yeah um and they wanted to make sure that he had somebody with him to understand what the results meant so they called me in and I sat there and they said oh um you know your dad uh it he's got a tumor in his esophagus um (sighs) And it's right at the bottom of his esophagus, kind of dipping into the top of his stomach. And right. tumours like this don't really form unless it's cancer. Right. So we can't confirm that it's cancer, but we are going to send it off to the uh, cancer nurses onto oncology. And they're going to do the biopsies and they'll have the results within a few days. I mean, even now, just listening to that, my mind is racing at a thousand miles an hour. I mean, you must have just gone into absolute shock in that moment. I mean, yeah, it was really weird because because I've been doing my nursing training. Yeah. had this kind of switch in my brain that I think turned on then and probably didn't turn off until dad Mm. died. Mm. And it was just. I had this part of my brain where I could listen to information told to me by the doctors. I could digest yeah. it and that could be my patient's information. Mm-hmm. And then I could associate that back to my dad in some way, but they yeah. weren't directly connected. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened next? What happens after you get diagnosed with cancer? So that day we, we got in the car and we didn't say a word to each other and mm-hmm. We both just had tears in our eyes and we're both just trying to be strong for each other. We got mm. home and we were the only ones in the house at the time. 
-hmm. and I just sat with him and I made him a cup of tea and I said like you know I know it's scary but it will be okay you know we're gonna we'll get through this it'll be fine you know all the crap that you say to people when they're first diagnosed um to try and make yourself feel better as well I mean kind of talking yourself into it I, I was exactly just gonna say that and I was just gonna say to you was that you sort of trying to reassure yourself that everything was gonna be okay as well so. as your dad yeah yeah, yeah, I think there's an element of that. And then the strangest, well, not the strangest thing, but, you know, some, the strangest thing happened in that my mum, she'd been out working on a function that day. Mm. She had a few people working for her and they all kind of like skipped back into the house. Not like no one was aware at this point of what had happened. Oh. And they all came kind of piling into the kitchen. And my mum looked at me and she just knew in that instant that something was wrong. Oh, no. And... She said, oh, my God, what's happened? And I said, um, Dad's in the front room. I think you should go and speak to him. Oh, and I... <laughs> he and she went into the front room and he just burst out crying. You know, he couldn't oh. he couldn't say anything. And so I went in and I sat down and I said, you know, they found a tumour and they think it might be cancer. And then the kind of procession of telling people started. It was quite open from the beginning. I don't think mm. that we thought that it would be that way, but because there was all of mum's workers there, they were so much part of it. So I then went into the kitchen and they all said, oh my gosh, what's happened? And I said, well, dad might have cancer. Um, and then it was, a, you know, we told my siblings and we told, and it just became, you know, you just tell everybody because everybody deserves to know what's happening and and it was easier that way it meant that people could support us gosh you're saying about your mum then that just utterly sent shivers down my spine it really did because I think in that moment of of her sort of you know coming into the house after a normal day of work um seeing you and your face you must have just read you you know and seen yeah. that something was really wrong and it's just heartbreaking really to mm. to listen to that and uh yeah it's just um yeah it's a lot it was, it was really surreal and I think um when we talk about grief I think my grief started that day I suddenly had this innocence mm. stripped mm. from me I mm. couldn't I couldn't live my life not worrying about my parents anymore suddenly mm. their mortality was right there in front of me like so how how old were you back then in 2015 or 2016 I would have been either 20 or 21 yeah so so really young and I think at that age you know for a lot of people you are sort of still a big teenager mm. I mean there's parts of you that's going to be grown up but I think for you like you said you know that's when your grief started you couldn't be young silly irresponsible Lucy suddenly you had to be this parent you know <laughs> almost it's it's yeah, like you just the, get thrown the... into a world of caring for people around you yeah yeah Okay, so, so what we happened were, next? So we were really lucky because dad, through his work, had private health insurance, which meant mm. that he was diagnosed in March and in mm. April he started treatment. Okay. So he had a really quick turnaround. I think it was literally maybe two or three weeks between mm. his diagnosis to when he started chemo. Mm. And they said to him, look, we think you've had this tumour probably for at least six months, which yeah. makes sense okay. with the yeah. timeline. <laughs> 
Mm. And we need to get it, you know, we need to get you on chemo as soon as possible because if you don't have any chemo, we won't be able to do, and basically if it doesn't shrink, we won't be able Mm. to operate. Yeah, yeah. And so dad had chemotherapy and he was incredibly fortunate because the tumour took really well to the chemo and so Mm. it it shrunk quite considerably. Uh, which meant that they could do surgery in the summer that year, in June 2016. So what did that surgery entail? Like, what surgery did he have? Like, removing the tumour? or or... So he had one of, I think it's the third biggest surgery that you can have. Okay. And it's second to a triple heart bypass. Mm. Like, it's such a massive surgery. Mm. Um, What they do is they cut from sort of the top of your rib cage down to your side across your back and up to the top of your back Mm. so um and and what they did was they moved everything out of the way and Mm. they removed dad's esophagus completely yeah and they stretched his stomach into a tube shape and reattached Mm. that so that he could have normal swallowing functions yeah so that was a huge a huge deal like it was such a big surgery it took 10 hours you know I Mm. remember that day I was literally like oh my god what am I doing like we knew that there was quite a high chance that he might die during the surgery because it was so dangerous you know we were just torn between like what we did it was just like such a jittery day for all of us yeah absolutely I mean I think even minor surgery has its um concerns and something so huge you know a massive invasive surgery like that I can totally see why you would have felt jittery (laughs) yeah absolutely and it was um I because I've been training to do my nursing I've been working on the ward like I, as a student I'd been working on the mm. ward that he was now a patient on so oh. I had actually seen this surgery before like I knew how invasive it was <gasps> and I knew what the recovery looked like so it was a really like weird yeah time because I was like oh I know how this can go wrong and I know I've seen people where this has gone really wrong or they've had it and they've only lived for a couple of months so once he had that surgery was that sort of you know you were looking things were looking better um am I being naive I I don't understand how no no not at all so actually happened was after the surgery dad had what they call cleanup treatment okay where they do chemotherapy and radiotherapy just to be safe just to be sure that it's gone Mm. to make sure that all of those cancer cells are eradicated as far as they can be so he started that so he had a surgery in June he had a couple of months to recover then he had his first uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy on his birthday bless him on the 16th Aww. of June on the 16th of August 2016 mm-hmm. and um, we knew I think we all kind of had a bit of a like we all kind of well we thought at the time that this was going to be the last time that he would have treatment so it was like right this is the last hurdle that's that light at the end of the tunnel as soon as this is finished we know that it's done we know that you're cancer free like it's going to be really really good 
and all of the so he has a scan straight after his surgery and that showed like pretty much no active cancer in his body so we knew that we had a really good chance of him being in remission yeah so it kind of kept him going he was like okay cool like let's do whatever we need to do to make sure that it stays this way so I'm gonna have treatment so he had three months of chemo and radio and during those three months it was my birthday in October and (laughs) I always remember this birthday because he was coming up to the end of his treatment and usually in terms of chemo cycles you know you're pretty strong for the first one and then you're feeling really rough by the last one because okay what what chemo does it is it attacks all cells like yeah not a very intelligent type of treatment Mm. immunotherapy is a new type of chemotherapy and that's a really clever type of treatment because it inhibits only the bad cells whereas chemo goes in and just smashes through all of them whether they're good whether they're bad they just like get obliterated yeah so on my birthday we'd gone to this restaurant in Oxford and it's like a really lovely exclusive restaurant like it takes like it takes three months or something to book a table there it's ridiculous Mm. and we've got this table and we went along and just as we sat down my mum got a call from somebody saying hi you were meant to be making me some lunch today and it hasn't arrived and she was like oh my god I've completely forgotten about this thing I'm (gasps) gonna have to go (laughs) so she stood up and she went home to organize oh no deliver it and then within about 10 minutes, dad was like looking really unwell and we just ordered our food and um, he looked really unwell. And like all of the smells, it was just, it was a Thai restaurant. So all of the smells mm. of all of that kind of like amazing Thai, really flavor, like flavorsome food mm. had just made him feel really, really, really poorly. And he was like, I think I need to go home so my brother takes my dad home and there's just me and me and my partner at the time kind of sat at this table and all this food arrived and I had to explain to the guy in the restaurant like I'm really sorry but like we've got to have to go like we can't eat all this food can you put it in boxes for us and we'll take it and I was a bit panicked at the time because I just felt like that's so sad something's not right with dad I want to go be with him I don't want to be here in this restaurant like crying into my dinner (laughs) But it was a real, like, I listened to somebody, um, and I can't remember who it was, but they said, they spoke about a moment where you live quite often with people with cancer, you live alongside their cancer for quite a while, and then you have moments of their cancer that make you really feel it. You know, you feel that cancer is in that room with you. He'd been like fine and he'd been doing really well. And then there was just a moment where it was like, gosh, yeah, he is really poorly still. You know, we kind of come out for this normal meal. It's like, how are we doing this? Because he's still so unwell. And I think from what I've learned of your dad since we've met, you know, he was pretty um, wild. You know, he, (laughs) he sort of did all these silly things and, you know, do his absolute best and what's just absolutely heartbreaking and I think you know this is what you've said before is cancer does not discriminate um mm-hmm. and it, it's incredibly cruel um 
Yeah, yeah that sounds like a crap birthday. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a shit birthday, but it always sticks in my mind as, as mm. one that's like, it was really special because we all got to be in this one place and then all of these things happened, but it was still... I still have a really lovely picture of me and my dad in the garden that day. And, like, I'm so happy that you have that. Of that day, mm. <laughs> even with this kind of strange realisation that cancer is very much part of our lives at that point. That's really nice that you still have that lovely yeah. picture that day. Because to me, I'm thinking, oh, that sounds like an awful day. But the fact that you can still drive up those positive memories from yeah. that time is really wonderful. I think the interesting thing is, is that now even the bad, even what were the bad days in the last four and a half years feel like precious, precious days. Yeah. So it's much easier for me to now reflect on those days. And even though they might have been awful, I can find the positive in them because dad was there, like because Aww. I was with him in that moment. Yeah. So... What happened next was we dad had stopped. So dad's fin dad finished his treatment um, yeah. in oct like late October, early November. So this is still 2016, still the year that he'd been diagnosed. So that full year had really been taken up by him being poorly with cancer, mm. and he had a couple of months before Christmas where he was able to like you know feel a bit stronger because mm. because he'd stopped treatment. And we saw lots of family and it was really lovely. And he had a scan just before Christmas and we found out those results in January. And on the 16th of January, 2017, he was in remission. Mm. And it was like the most joyous feeling I've ever felt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was so amazing. Like, yeah like wow dad look like not only have you gone through all of this awful stuff with a cancer I mean esophageal cancer is so so lethal mm. and it's so difficult to treat and it's really really difficult to cure mm. and so the idea that he was cured that he was in remission that we could all carry on with our lives and that he would be okay was just the most magical feeling mm. And we went, I said to him, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to go for a pint. <laughs> Classic dad. So on the way back from the hospital, we went to a pub and he had a little pine. And it was really nice. I got a really lovely picture of my parents. I like, was just going to say, do you have a photo? Of yeah, course, Of course you do. Of course yeah. you do. One thing that I, I was very good at over the last four years was documenting a lot of time. Mm. Um, and I don't think I necessarily did it consciously knowing that there would be that time was running out I think I just did it because I was like I love my dad like I just want to spend time with him all the time mm. and I love having pictures of us together mm. um, so I did that really well in those last four years and so I've got this really lovely picture of him and my mum in in the pub and he looks really well like he looks really good and mm -hmm. it was lovely because I could send that round to people saying he's in remission and that was yeah. having spent that year learning how to communicate bad news to people it was so nice to suddenly have something nice to tell people because you feel a little bit like the bad guy like I'm always the one if if you're getting a call from Lucy then you know that something's wrong with Rob Aww. and so it was so nice to be able to kind of share that he 
he was he was going to be okay and, and it was really lovely yeah so that year we um kind of all went back to our lives sort of went yeah back to work I went back to uni um dad went back to work uh on like a phased return but very quickly got straight back into it because he's a classic like workaholic that's what chefs mm-hmm. are like <laughs> Um, and I think he was just so desperate. He was like, oh, I've missed the year of my life. I want to go mm. back and be part of it again. So um, so he threw himself back into it. And it was difficult. There was definitely moments of that year that he struggled quite a lot. Because one thing that people don't often talk about is when, when cancer goes away as such, um, obviously you've spent so much time in appointments with people calling you, checking up on yeah. you and suddenly and also the other thing is that family and friends rally round when you're sick you know you feel mm. loved all of the time because people are just constantly willing to do something for you or wanting to send you something or just checking mm. in more and when he was in remission it was like everybody you know just like him he you know everybody went back to their lives and it was like something that people forgot had happened or that's Mm. I think how it felt for him so he struggled a bit that year with depression and and actually he started seeing a therapist through the oncology team which was really good it was the first time that he'd seen a therapist before (laughs) he had a good few run-ins with um with certain healthcare professionals that he just didn't believe in so I apologize to any dietitian listening because my dad did not have time for any of you <laughs> I somehow I'm I can sure imagine you're wonderful that at your jobs but he was just not a patient man when it came to don't tell me I'm a chef don't tell me about food or what I can and can't do <laughs> mm. Mm. um and I and I know there was there was definitely some hospice nurses caught up in that firing line as well. So apologies to anyone who met mm. my dad whilst he was on morphine, because that was usually when he was not very nice. So, mm. <laughs> but that's just that's like a side of cancer. I think you know we talk about I talk about my dad in such a high regard because ninety nine percent of the time he was lovely and he was great. But of course I don't talk about the times when he wasn't nice and or he mm. you know those those moments of of the bad days where things really got to him and and by proxy got to us because he was Mm. blacking out but Mm. but yeah so we kind of had a normal-ish year you know we did Mm. things and everybody kind of got on with their lives and then in November I got a call and actually it's one of my favorite photos and one of the photos that um people always say to me you look so much like your dad in this photo and he called me up and he said oh do you want to go for a coffee and I was like uh yeah okay like "Mm, something's up Mm. went and had a coffee and whilst we're having a coffee he goes so you know that I'm like really good at telling what's wrong with my body Mm. (laughs) and I was like Mm. yeah and he said I just feel a little bit I don't know there's just something just not quite right so I was thinking you know maybe we can like arrange for like maybe I should see the doctor and it was really weird because like we come full circle he was coming to me to say maybe I should go and see a doctor yeah um and I was like yeah sure like I can help arrange that because essentially what I was doing is being his like admin to go and arrange these things because he didn't want to actually contact the doctor and say mm. I think I need a scan mm. but he knew that if he told me that I would be straight on it to do it yeah and I was so um that was 
20th of November 2017. Mm. He goes in for a scan beginning of December, so about a week later. And on the 19th of December, we got uh, the news that his cancer had returned. <sighs> God. And actually, I just thought maybe... <sighs> I was looking through my notes the other day on my phone and I found the note that I made um, mm. where I essentially, you know, made it to send to people as like a template yeah, to say yeah. his cancer's back. And I thought maybe I'd just read it because it was really poignant for me when I found it. I was like, gosh, like, how was that? Like, it was such a big moment and it just, I don't know, there were so many feelings that came with it. Yeah. But, Are you happy to share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So um, I wrote the note on my phone and it says, unfortunately, dad's cancer has returned, affecting a sing single lymph gland on his chest. The consultant has suggested a course of intensive therapy of chemotherapy and radiotherapy starting in the new year uh, for, a for a range of roughly nine or maybe less weeks. Mm. At the moment, they are not considering surgery and they won't unless it is unsuitable for radiotherapy, which will mm. be based on his last radiotherapy treatment. The consultant is very positive that he is treating to cure this. He wants he can't promise any guarantees, but he wants us to view this as dad has a good chance and to try and be as positive as possible. So wow. I read that and I was like, oh, God. <sighs> There's so many moments in cancer where you really feel hopeful, you know, you really do feel like, okay, like, we've just got to stay positive, you know, people say, be, you stay positive, be strong, all of the crap that people say to you, mm. and um, and you do, like, you know, you, you soak it up and you say to each other that we need to be positive and strong, and yeah. And that there is definitely an element, a huge element of cancer, which is related to, well, of all illnesses, which is related to your mental health. If you manage mm -hmm. to keep a good mental, like, positive feeling about things throughout all illnesses, you do have a better chance of living for longer or, or you know, for being at least more comfortable in your, in your time. Mm. I think um, obviously I haven't actually had experience of cancer um, but one stuff that I've seen or read before from people that I know um, sort of like not know close to me um, more of sort of articles and stuff like that um, I've seen that the whole sort of stay strong stay positive thing can actually have a bit of a negative impact on some cancer patients because they feel as if they sort of have to stay strong and positive do you did you find that at all or did you find it was it was a good thing I think um the hard thing is is when people say stay strong mm. it's insinuating that you're not capable of doing it and yeah. I think for my dad he was like yeah well you know I am strong like I am getting on with this like I'm doing it and he was always going to fight. He was always like the whole the whole reason he went through everything he went through was to keep us OK. Mm. Like as a dad, he couldn't say no to treatment. Yeah. Because yeah. It was the only hope that he had of having longer with us. Mm. And can you imagine turning to your kids and saying to them, like, actually, 
I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It must be incredibly hard. Like so, you know, some people make that decision and it's completely independent. Like, yeah. like cancer is so, so, so independent. Mm. There is no two cases the same. You will never hear the same story twice. Like I've never, ever, ever heard of the same, even, even having the same diagnosis, same time, never have I heard the same timeline happening. It just doesn't happen. It's just mm. as unique as DNA. That's the problem. That's why it's so difficult to cure. That's why it's that's why there's not one single cure for all of them. Yeah. Because it just mutates in so many different ways. Mm. And that's one of the hardest things with treatment. Like you mm. have to trust, you put all your trust in consultants, you put all your trust in the doctors because they know best as far as we're yeah. aware. Yeah. And you don't want to second guess them because you don't know like how are you meant to know anything about you know we, we don't know yeah we didn't know if there was anything else that would work and we trusted that they would tell us if there was you know so after he had his treatment was you know what what sort of happened next he did a did, did a really intensive course of treatment after his yeah. second diagnosis and you yeah know, it sort of all came crashing down how was he during that second treatment so it was definitely harder than the first yeah um he was just he was just weaker like yeah he didn't have as much fight in him I don't think Mm. that it's possible to have as much fight in you the second time around your confidence has been knocked completely Mm. um and it's devastating being told that the thing that you were fighting and you fought so successfully has come back you know your body your body is failing you again and how do you mm. how do you come to terms with that? So he think I think because like mentally he wasn't as capable at digesting and being strong uh, in inverted commas, you know, mm. because he wasn't able to do that, and because his body had already been through so much trauma, having more and like this chemo again, it was a different type of chemo. It was intensive treatment to try and eradicate this thing, which meant that it was so much harsher. Mm. It caused so much more side effects. He was really, really sick. He was really he got really puffy. He got really kind of like he carried a lot of water weight. Like he really just felt really uncomfortable. Like it yeah. affected his sleep loads. Like he was basically nocturnal for for a long time like it changed lots of parts of his life and so it was harder to navigate Mm. saying that he did navigate it and in I I think it I think it was June when he finished his treatment June 2018 and he had a break from his treatment and we went to Thailand nice yeah it was my parents 25th wedding anniversary Uh, um it was my it was like one of all of our favorite places like me and my sister had gone there traveling when we were younger with our friends my dad and my mum had been there a lot when they were traveling my dad loved Thai food it was like his thing that was his niche like he loved it so much he was so amazing at cooking Thai food so we all went for two weeks to Thailand and we traveled around to like four different places and we stayed in some really lovely hotels and we just had the most wonderful experience Mm. and those memories like now gosh they feel like gold dust I cannot believe we were fortunate enough 
for him to be well enough for us to go and go on this trip. Yeah. It's just so surreal. Um, and I remember that he was his, it was his birthday, 16th of August. We were in Thailand. We booked a really lovely hotel, uh, really lovely restaurant on the beach and we were watching the sunset and having mm. dinner. And he was opening all of his cards and he got quite Aww. tearful. And I think God, I feel tearful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think he knew like he knew that he wasn't getting better. Yeah. And he knew I think we all thought at that point, like, oh, is this going to be his last birthday? Mm. Or is this going to be his last trip? Mm. And, yeah, it was really hard, you know. We we took loads of pictures. We, like, had a mm. family photo shoot on that beach. <laughs> People were probably like, God, these bloody <laughs> tourists. <laughs> and my oh. dad was such a character, so when we always used to joke that he was a stoner when he was younger and yeah. um and we <laughs> after the meal we let <laughs> after the meal we let him choose which tuk-tuk we were going to get back mm. so we got like a taxi back to this thing which is like a tuk-tuk oh was that a tuk-tuk but like a big pickup tuk-tuk van and yeah. he literally like sniffed out the like most <laughs> taxi driver and he had a bob marley themed taxi mm. and my poor mum she's quite conservative and mm. she was mm. like oh my god this guy is high as a kite we're in the back of his bloody pickup truck mm, on the other side of the world <laughs> on the other side of the world and dad is literally like he's laughing the whole way home this guy is blaring oh. bob marley tunes you know we're all like kind of joking around it stinks of weed like it's just yeah. really it was just really funny and it was just one of my favorite memories of he used to just do like he would just do things to wind us up or to make us laugh so i think it's a classic dad thing isn't it you know yeah. they they are um very much in a lot of families i think the entertainer mm. you know they're they're the big jokey guy they're the the one doing the silly things and i think really you know men never grow up <laughs> and I think you know my dad did these silly things too and he just your dad just sounds so wonderful and even mm. though even though he had the you know these moments on the beach and over supper when he got emotional and had these tears he still was like right come on no time for this let's go and get on this stupid tuck tuck and <laughs> embarrass mum and be stupid yeah you know absolutely and that's really he was lovely definitely a really cat he was a really big character he was really <laughs> and I think like anyone hmm. anyone who knew him like would say exactly the same he was yeah. such a laugh he was yeah. such a laugh and I'm really glad actually because I'm really glad that's the opinion that you have of him because we yeah. obviously met after he died yeah and Oh, one of my biggest fears when he died was that people wouldn't like no one gets to meet him anymore mm. like no one gets to know how amazing he was mm. so I'm glad that we portray or that I portray his life in that way because Absolutely. he really was you know just just the biggest ray of sunshine mm. so after Thailand it was amazing we came home and mm. in September that year um yeah, in September we had the news that the he he'd had a scan, and 
the tumor was not going to go away so we knew then that well they knew then that they weren't going to cure it with this treatment because it hadn't worked in those first six months of the year and so they said to him you know it's terminal and Mm. we don't have like a timeline or we didn't ask for one to be fair but you know we didn't ask you know we they didn't know how long uh he might live with it without you know because we we knew it wasn't going away so so that's like two years after the initial symptoms almost yeah like that's you've gone through a whole journey you've gone through two lots of treatment not having cancer yeah cancer more treatment yeah no it's just absolutely wild how much his little body went through over those two Mm. years Mm. so they said to him you know if we do some more treatment we think it might we might be able to kind of make it lie dormant so that you're kind basically treatment's going to buy you time but it's not going to buy you like a life without cancer yeah so he agreed and Mm. he went back on treatment and he finished his last chemotherapy in January Mm. 2019 Mm. and then in May um, he had his next scan and the results from that were really positive Mm. so the results from that showed that the tumour was lying dormant, you know, it wasn't showing as active as it was before, it didn't show so signs of growing. That just means it's not growing, does it? Dormant? Yeah, so, yeah, so, like, the set, the cancer cells are there, but yeah. it's not really doing very much. Okay, I understand, yeah. So they said, so they obviously, they told us that, and it really felt like, oh, my God, well, it might lie dormant for years, like, we don't know, yeah. like, we have no idea. They hadn't, like, they didn't know, we didn't yeah. know. Mm. um it was very much like a we'll just wait and see and we'll give you a scan every three months and then we'll be able to tell you if it's growing or what it's doing so we were really glad that he'd had that he was Mm. he was thrilled and he was like do you know what it's lying dormant I've had enough treatment I'm not doing this Mm. so he said to me you know you know you've been you've put a lot of your life on hold you know you stopped uni you stopped work you've Mm -hmm. been by my side for all of this you need to go back to doing something that you love so I found my job and I got a job at cancer research and yeah it was really amazing and Mm -hmm. he was so so proud of me he would get drunk in the pub and I would go and meet him for a drink (laughs) And he would be like proclaiming, oh, this is my daughter who works at Cancer Research. He was really proud. Like it was, I'm really glad that I got to work there whilst he was alive. Absolutely. Because it just meant the world to me. Yeah. And And I now like go into every day. I do worry sometimes about what I share about dad, whether he would be happy with, with it. Like, would he be happy with people knowing his story? And actually, I really do think he would be. I think mm. my dad was incredibly selfless. He cared for so many people mm. and he had the biggest heart. So yeah. if telling my, well, telling his story on... Well, it is your story as well. well you know, telling you... our story, but on his behalf. Yeah if that helps people, if that helps people recognise signs in their parents that maybe they need to get checked, if it helps people recognise signs in themselves that they need to get checked, 
or if it helps this grieving process following the bereavement then you know we've done our jobs here like yeah. my dad would just be so thrilled to know that his legacy is supporting other people yeah absolutely I don't know if people talk about this very much but I think he felt guilty like he felt guilty that he was going to die he felt mm. guilty that he wasn't going to be here you know he didn't he didn't want to talk about him dying because he didn't mm. want to face it he didn't want to know that there was going to be a time where he wasn't going to be able to protect us mm. to be here for us mm. yeah in October I was really lucky for my birthday much better than the year before mm. and or two years before even and my partner's parents live in Ireland and they got to come over for my birthday and they Yay. got to meet my parents mm. and it was the first and only time that they met my dad Aww. and I felt so so lucky there's you know we've got some beautiful pictures of that day I was just gonna say got any photos <laughs> of course I do <laughs> and it was just really lucky there were so many points in dad's cancer where I feel so grateful for having him here for such a long time living with it because yeah we really got to make the most out of those years. Mm. Um, and it's time that isn't afforded to lots of people. And I completely appreciate that. It can be really hard speaking. I know when people speak to me who've lost their families or lost family members through cancer, it can be really hard because it's almost unfair that I got to have my dad for four and a half years of cancer if some people only got, some people only get weeks. Mm. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, that kind of grief is going to become really, really, really common. There mm. was there was a report yesterday about how there's 40,000 people living in the UK currently undiagnosed. Really? And you think all of those people are at risk mm. of having really limited time if they don't go to the doctors. Mm. And all of those families are going to experience that really sudden grief that comes after losing somebody very quickly to any kind of disease yeah so yeah we were really we weren't lucky I don't like to use the word lucky because nobody's lucky in the cancer game it's a rubbish game nobody signs up like nobody wants to be on that nobody wants to be there mm. but some people are you know I could be grateful for the time that we had with my dad and I always mm. will be Anyway, so dad kind of declined then. It's really strange because when I tell people, when I used to tell people about dad, they'd be like, is he good? Is he bad? Like, what's going on? Mm. Because dad then had kind of three months where he really wasn't very good. So like November, December, January, he really wasn't very well. And we're coming into January 2020 now. You know, this is only last year. And mm. he really wasn't good like he wasn't very strong he wasn't able to eat very much like he was losing weight he was you know really really thin and he just wasn't he wasn't great you know his cancer was clearly attacking his body internally and um <laughs> although <laughs> so, in January, so? <laughs> so in January, yeah so in January I took him <laughs> to the doctors because he has decided that he's going to go on a cruise and 
<laughs> to get medical insurance, you have to have seen your doctor and to get them to kind of sign it off. Mm. And he wasn't just going on any cruise. He was he was going to New Zealand. <laughs> mm. I mean, I remember when he first told me this and I just thought, what on earth? He went yeah. to New Zealand when he, he was, was going... basically told it was the end. I mean, yeah. in some ways, why not? <laughs> I know. But... Yeah. So he was like, oh, no, we don't need insurance. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Anyway, oh. I was like, you are not going anywhere without insurance. Ooh. I'm not living mm. the rest of my life trying to get you back to the UK or living in hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of debt because you're really poorly in New Zealand. Mm. And so we went to the doctors, got him signed off by the doctor, who was like, I don't think it's a good idea, but I can't tell you not to do it. Yeah. I mean, fair play to that doctor, you know. Yeah. So they, you know, kind of said, OK, we can't we can't sign you off as such, but we can give you all of your medical notes to give to the insurance company. It's on their back if they choose to if they choose to let you go, basically. Mm. And we managed to find an insurer who signed him off, who probably still curses my dad to this day. <laughs> because he got on the plane, he got to Australia, where he was going to board this boat. Mm. And he was almost instantly unwell. Mm. Um, when he got to New Zealand, they, they took him into hospital. And he had to have a couple of surgeries where they um, had to clear what happened was his where the tumor was in his chest it was closing what they'd the makeshift esophagus that they'd made out of his stomach mm. it was pushing on that and so it was closing so where he'd been trying to eat food it got lodged and he had to have surgery to basically remove anything yeah. that was blocking his esophagus or what was left of his esophagus so we all like thought that we might have to go over there he was really really unwell and we we were kind of debating whether we were going to go over and mm. say our goodbyes over there because we didn't know what was going to happen and it was hard to make sense of what was happening mm. and they managed to get him strong enough and the insurance paid for him to come back business class from New Zealand <laughs> and like I laugh <sighs> because my dad he remarks things as cancer perks. My cancer right. perks, you know, like, oh, I got to you know, yeah. get a free yeah. ticket to this thing because I've got cancer. This was the biggest cancer perk he'd ever pulled off. <laughs> and I tell you now, I stood in this airport waiting to pick him up or to pick up all, all of How did you feel? Were you cross? Were you excited? Were you sad? Were I was you... exhausted. Exhausted. So yeah. tired. We hadn't really like we hadn't slept, we hadn't rested for, for weeks because we really thought that we were going to be getting on the plane the next day to go and say goodbye to him in New Zealand. Mm. And at this point, you know, the rumours of coronavirus are coming along, but we don't really know what's gonna happen. Oh god. And it was the 29th of February, and obviously I'll never forget that because of course he flight flew on a flew in and on a leap year. Mm. <laughs> and I said to him, and they arrived, and my mum had gotten really poorly on the plane. Oh, for and, goodness sake! <laughs> yeah, and I was like, are they both going to come out here in wheelchairs? Oh. Are we going to have both of them going straight off to the hospital? Like, what's going to happen? Oh, and, my um, goodness. They arrived, and Dad looked at us and he, as if to say, like, I told you that I'd go, because we'd all, mm. like, been pissed off that he was going to go in the first place to New Zealand. 
but he got there he got back you know kudos to him like it was traumatic for everybody else involved but um he did get there so they got back he was at home for about a week and then he was Mm. really unwell again so he got taken into hospital in oxford and at this point they said to him so this is like beginning of March. I think mm. he came he came out of hospital the day before or the day after lockdown was put in place. Really? So they said to him, the oncologist came in and she said, like, it's amazing that you're still alive. Mm. And we really do think that you've probably only got a couple of weeks left. Gosh. So I like obviously panicked because... Yeah like he's been poorly for so long you know that he's gonna die at some point but you really don't think he's actually gonna die yeah yeah and his response was well if this pandemic is gonna shut down things and make people postpone things then I'm not gonna go anywhere yet (laughs) and so he didn't like he stuck with it and he came out of hospital and he got quite a bit stronger in those couple of weeks when he was back out and in April he was really kind of up and down the good days were really good he would Mm. go out on his bike he would cycle around Oxford like it was just like unbelievable like where this kind of strength came from having been told that he was probably going to die within weeks he was like no I'm not I'm going to get on with my life Mm. I'm not going to let this pandemic stop me so he would cycle around and we were so so lucky my dad was such a sun seeker Mm. and we had the most glorious couple of months didn't we that first beginning of lockdown we had the most beautiful spring it was sunny every day the birds were just out all the time do you know what I've seen a photo of your dad sat on a bench and he looks you know he's he's poorly and he's skinny you know there's no meat left on his bones but he is bronzed (laughs) and I think it was was this this time he was so tanned he was so tanned and honestly the nurses would come in and they'd be like has he been to the Caribbean like what yeah he's got such he's like properly tanned skin like it's unreal and yeah. he had like he even had um like panda eyes from where his sunglasses were on his eyes and yeah. he got a tan around there so it was just really funny mm. um but yeah we were really lucky because we had this glorious weather and we were able to kind of sit with him and be with him in the garden and that was really 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 precious and and you know he was he was not too bad during that time like he was he was managing and he was still living an an okay you know a fairly good quality of life Mm. and then in May kind of the good days were becoming less and less frequent he was becoming quite unwell and quite uh, week and mm. so one of the things that an old colleague of mine actually said was to start recording phone calls like just generic yeah. phone calls and it's funny because I don't really listen to them now like I thought that I would use them to listen to them all the time but I don't like I don't unless I'm unless I kind of forget what he sounds like mm. I do have days where I'm like 
I just want to hear him say one thing or like I ha- I've clipped a couple of them just to the end where they where he yeah. just like love you darling yeah just so I can mm. hear him say that bit I could I don't need to hear him moaning about you know what what the pandemic is doing to the world or like yeah I don't need to think about him stressed about anything so but yeah I started recording phone calls and I started kind of spending more time there and towards I think it was well it was on the 30th of May I got this really beautiful picture of him and my mum sat in the garden Mm. and he just looks really happy like he's got such a big smile on his face the sun is like beaming down on them mum's really happy as well like you can really see the love in her face and it just it's just such a precious photo and that was on on the Monday which was the first Mm. um he just that like spark in him had just gone and he was in the garden and he was just really 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 tired and he was starting to get to the point where like he wouldn't be drink like he would sit in the garden for eight hours straight he would drink like sips of water and not go to the toilet all day Mm. and we knew that he was like really not well Mm. so the hospice nurse came out and saw him and I think she was due to come on that day it was like like she'd like it'd been booked in for like months that she was due okay that day and it was almost like it was just the perfect time for her to come so she came and she sat with him and she sort of said like Rob you seem really tired you know how are you feeling and because he wasn't really able to swallow anymore he was struggling to swallow like liquids which meant that swallowing any medicine was like really difficult yeah so she said to him like do you think it might be a good idea for us to start kind of you know getting the nurses in to help with your medication and stuff and he didn't really say anything he kind Mm. of just he was so tired that he kind of just kind of like bobbed his head and and I think that was like normally my dad was such a vocal man he was so like he was the first person to tell you what he did and didn't want like he listen to the doctors or nurses if they told him he was going to do something he would be like not on my watch I'm going to choose what I do so the fact that he'd like really he got to the point where he just couldn't like fight anymore yeah and so I said to him you know dad are you happy for me and mum to like have a chat with the nurses and see what they think and he was like yeah <laughs> so sort of you know by this point it had almost he was sort of almost ready to hand the responsibility over to like you and your mum and the nurses and actually the medical professionals maybe yeah. for the first time you know yeah the first time in four and a half years it sounds like he sort of um you know he had the last word the whole time and it sort of sounds to me as if now he was in so much pain and stuff like that he was thinking to himself right maybe this is time that I need to hand over to you know my daughter my wife and the medical professionals yeah absolutely and so he did you know he let us kind of take the reins and 
the nurse said, you know, I think the hospice nurse said, I think it's, you know, a good idea to get the hospital bed in. And we'll, so we spent the whole of the rest of that day, like clearing out the back room so we could get mm. the hospital bed in. And then we'd be able to wheel him into the garden so that he could be in bed, but in the garden. And um, yeah, and he went to bed that night. And then on the Tuesday, he just he just didn't want to leave like he didn't want to he didn't want to get out of bed so he didn't he stayed in bed and we had the hospital bed delivered and it sat downstairs in the back room and we did on Tuesday think that we were going to try and get him downstairs but he just really didn't want to Mm. so we didn't want to you know argue against him and we um, the, the nurses came along and they said, you know, his pain's quite high and we need to try and make him comfortable, which means going on a syringe drive. Mm. And I don't think I knew that a syringe drive meant that it was the end. Like, mm. Even with my background in doing some nursing, like I knew that syringe drives was something that people had when they couldn't like swallow anymore and I knew that it was quite an end of life thing but I didn't mm. know how quickly he would deteriorate after that mm. because as soon as he went on to it which he went on to it on the Tuesday on the uh Tuesday evening mm. um as soon as he went on to that he was just like really drowsy really asleep like didn't really speak again for yeah. that week and um the one of the weirdest things that week was that to even if even if a patient has terminal cancer even if you know they're going to die even if they've been told they're going to die you don't necessarily well unless a doctor has seen them or sign them off within i think it's within 28 days then they would have to have a like an autopsy after they die. Mm. So we didn't want that to happen. So I called the doctor and they FaceTimed my dad. And he said to him, like, oh, Rob, I can see that you're really tired. And, and mm. you're, you know, are you happy for me to let the nurses give you some more pain relief and stuff? And dad just kind of like nodded his head and was really, really tired. And the doctor said, OK, Lucy, like, I'll call you back in a second. So then he called me back and he said, look, you know, obviously dad's really, really poorly now. And if he dies within the next 24 hours, um, I'm on annual leave tomorrow. So I'll sign the form when he gets when I get back. <gasps> and I was like. One minute, is my dad actually going to die? Yeah. He's like, shit, like this is like he might actually die Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. was really really weird and it was such a surreal kind of conversation to have with this guy and I was like okay um okay thanks very much like yeah like on FaceTime (laughs) as well yeah I don't know what to say um so yeah it was really odd um Mm. and then that week you know dad well Wednesday to Friday he was just really really Mm. really sleepy 
and mm. we had all of his all of his family came so his brother his sister well, his mum was with us throughout it but his brother his sister and my oldest brother and sister mm. and one of dad's best mates they came and my cousin ben he's like a like the just yeah like an amazing big brother to all of us and um everyone came and they sort of saw him and he was aw- he was like he was awake and sitting up in bed but he wasn't really saying very much okay um but he was but but it didn't matter because people could kind of talk to him and he would like sort of show them enough of a conversation that like, I think it felt like enough closure for a lot of people mm-hmm. and then on the Friday after he'd seen my cousin Ben um he just he he fell asleep then and yeah. slept really soundly like really really soundly and the nurse had come in and they'd like change his um iv drip and stuff and make sure he's topped up and really sedated and really comfortable and we would just sit there and sort of talk to him but he was really soundly asleep mm. and his breathing had been really quite like shallow and on this on the sunday um I went out in the morning with my partner Siobhan and we went to Sainsbury's to pick up some food and I texted yeah. my cousin ben and I said to him like can you come around and cook some dinner because like I really can't face cooking <laughs> and he was like yeah of course so he came over he started cooking a big roast dinner and the house smelled amazing mm. and we were all sat upstairs around dad and watching um Race Across the World which was like just a proper good for a really good program to watch like with him because I mean mm. not with him obviously he's asleep but like you know having talk he loved travel he loved exploring like he loved mm. him and my mum traveled so much so it just seemed really appropriate to be watching something that was kind of this like adventure challenge like it's the kind of thing that he would have really enjoyed watching mm. and um yeah about four o'clock my mum said you know he's his hands are really like he's really sweaty and I was like really? oh mm. it's like all oh, right okay like take like we'd had like 12 blankets on the poor guy I was like no wonder he's cooking like a furnace under there like it's so warm <laughs> <laughs> and the house yeah. is like warm because the kitchen's boiling because Ben's there cooking up a feast mm. and um but we took the blankets off his hands and his hands were like blue they were like purpley blue Mm. and my mum looked at me as if like in almost like well we both kind of like shocked and Mm. I said to my partner like oh like I think well my partner actually turned to me and she said like I think I'll leave you guys to have a few minutes Mm. and she walked out and we called up my my grandma and my sister were in the kitchen we called Mm. them up and they came up and we kind of all just stood around and sat with him and mm. he just really peacefully took one last like big breath yeah and he just like he just went like yeah. and it was so weird because it was so quick like mm. there was no mm. struggle we were so lucky mm. but immediately he was gone yeah and I don't think anything prepares you for that 
No. You know, that sudden, like, actually watching somebody die is, like, just so, so surreal because they are so alive, like, literally less than a second before. I think that I, that just, I cannot get my head around how somebody can be alive and then they're dead. It just so hard to comprehend how how that works it's just yeah it is really really odd and and quite a lot of time over the last few months I've definitely thought Mm. about like how like was he kind of dead like for a couple of days like was he actually like kind of like was he kind of there was he just Mm. really like basic breathing Mm. Mm. but like straight after I called round to, I called my brother and I called my sister Mm. who live in Wales and I called my uncle and and I called my dad's best friend and Mm. I was just saying, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you that dad's died and everyone's Mm. going like, why are you sorry? Like, we're sorry. Like, everybody, everybody's sad about everything, but um yeah, it was really surreal, and we called the funeral home, and we said yeah. that he died, and because we knew that he was going to die, we'd already we'd like they tell you to kind of preemptively call them so that mm. like they know to come and they know that they're going to have to come and get them at some yeah. point. So we called them up, and we said like we want a couple of hours with him, so if you can like come at seven or something. And it was really weird, like people don't talk about how long are you meant to have somebody in like his body. Because it's not, he's not there anymore. Like, how long is a comfortable time to, like, have him in the house? Yeah. It was really, and, like, I thought it was going to be, like, oh, we'll have an hour where we sit there with him and then we'll want him gone. But just the speed of time. We sat there Mm. for, like, two or three hours and, bless the people from the funeral home had arrived and I went down I said I'm really sorry we're just not ready yet and he said there is no rush yeah here for as long as it takes if you want him if you want us to sit here all night that's okay and they just sat like outside on our I said you can (laughs) this classic like being part of a hospitality family said you can come in I'll make you a cup of tea and give you a piece of cake but like we just want to say goodbye to our dad for a bit longer (laughs) It's like the mother in me, and he was like, "Honestly, I'll sit in my van. It's fine." Um, and we sat with my dad, and I know it's it's like things like this. Like, there's so many kind of like funny moments where I'm like, I don't really know. It's like mm. they come back to you, and you're like, "Oh, why did I say that in that moment?" Like, mm. You're just trying to make it normal. No, I um, when my dad died, um, and it, well, I, I can talk about this in my episode, but I was sort of sat there like, anyone want a coffee? Like, you sure you don't want a coffee? Like, yeah. co- coffee anyone? <laughs> just sat there and they were like, no, no, we're fine. I was like, you sure? Like, I can make you a coffee if you want one. <laughs> oh. oh, I know. But we we sat there and we just we just held him and mm. we hugged him and we told him that we loved him and we cried and mm. we listened to some songs. We listened to Blowing in the Wind by Bob Dylan, which is one of his favourite songs and one mm. of the songs that we used at the funeral. We listened to Have I Told You Lately, which is by Van Morrison, and the song that really reminds me of my parents because it's the kind of song that my mum would just, like, swoon over. Mm. <laughs> and we played Let's Stay Together by Al Green. 
Um, mm, love that song. Which I love, yeah. And actually that was the last song that we played at his funeral as well. Yeah. It was just really special. I'm incredibly grateful, especially during the pandemic, that I got to experience. I don't think people realise that there is so much privilege in watching and being there when somebody dies. Like Mm. there's so much fortune that that comes with. I was so, so, so fortunate to be part of every single moment of my dad's cancer because it made me understand him as a person. It made me get to know him in a way in which I just didn't know him before. Like our relationship because of the cancer is a completely different one to what we had before and I'll forever be grateful he will always be the strongest man in my eyes he will always be the reason why I do things he's the reason why I get up in the morning he's the reason why I go to work he's the reason I want to support and love my family so much and he's certainly the reason why I now look at life and think it's too short to be worrying about little things you know yeah yeah so don't sweat the small stuff mm, my dad used to say it is what it is and that's exactly, what it is exactly how it is it, it is. is what it is there it's is nothing is. in life that you can control so you just go with it and you make your happiness and yeah mm. he was a really 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 special man yeah well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I mean, it's just, it's such a, you know, there's such a journey there, but it it still feels so quick and it's just absolutely insane what you went through together. Um, and yeah, I do sort of feel like I, I know your dad, which is sort of weird and wonderful and I think he was probably a bit weird and wonderful (laughs) absolutely (laughs) thank you for listening Alice that's okay thank you for listening to this episode of the Grief Sofa podcast please subscribe rate and review to help us reach new listeners if you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on the Grief Sofa please get in touch on Instagram at the Grief Sofa or email us the grief sofa at gmail.com.